one of my very favorite books is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Lewis wrote the book as a series of imaginary letters between Screwtape, who is sort of a mid-level demon, oh, a middle manager of hell, if you will, and his toady underling named Wormwood. Now, Wormwood is anxiously working on a man whom he affectionately calls the patient, trying to tempt him to do very bad things so he'll fall away from the faith. And at one point, Wormwood writes to Screwtape complaining that despite his best efforts, he just doesn't seem to be able to get the patient to do anything particularly horrible. Well, Screwtape writes him back and he says this, relax, my dear brother Wormwood, all will be well. You see, what we need to do is just wait because the best path to the bottom is usually a gradual one. So if we sit back and relax, give it time, this human being will be distracted by the things of this world and will gradually degrade. That's one of the weaknesses of human beings, you know, Wormwood, that they are so easily distracted by the things of this world, they forget what is important, and that weakness can cause them to fritter their lives away. I love C.S. Lewis. I think he was incredibly insightful, and on this one, I think he hits the nail right on the head. Because Lewis understands that, well, we tend to be enamored with beginnings, but we often struggle to follow through. That for many of us, it's relatively easy to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, but it is very hard for us to follow Him as our Lord. So our issue in this life of faith is not really so much the beginning. Our issue is actually following through. And I understand this, and I bet you do too, because discipleship is a long haul. It's a lifetime commitment. It means making dozens of decisions every single day based in love rather than selfishness. And it's kind of funny because uh, I think we kind of tend to forget that. You know, a lot of us think of the Christian life, that initial commitment anyway, as uh, pulling out a $1,000 bill and slapping it on the table and saying, here it is, Jesus, I give it all to you, I'm all in. But then one scholar says, uh, what ends up happening is Jesus takes the $1,000 bill over to the bank and cashes it in for a bucket full of quarters, which he then hands back to us, and we spend our lives putting out 25 cents, 50 cents at a time. We listen to a friend talk about their problems. We offer forgiveness to someone who needs it, or we ask for forgiveness when we need it ourselves. We read a Bible story to a child. We take a casserole to a sick friend. We sit through yet another Zoom meeting for the church. And this kind of activity, this 25 cents at a time, discipleship over the course of a lifetime, well, that takes endurance, doesn't it? So I really appreciate the imagery that's used by the writer of our text this morning, the letter to the Hebrews, where they talk about the Christian life as a race, not a sprint, mind you but a marathon. Now, the 
the letter is written to Jewish Christians who were struggling to follow through. They were, they were struggling with a day in and day out of Christian life, trying to remain faithful. Uh, the author does mention that uh, the people that he's writing to, uh, well, they've been persecuted, but scholars don't believe that any of them have shed blood for the faith. Uh, they weren't being martyred. No, the, the persecution they were suffering was cultural. They lived in the midst of a culture that was not Christian, didn't understand what that meant, and often pressed them, persecuted them, um, intensely pressured them to, to give up their, their Christian life. Life was hard enough as it was. And after a while, the, these, these early Christians were just getting tired of this endless pressure and this non-support from the culture, so they, they were struggling, struggling, struggling to follow through. They were finding the race to be a very long and weary one. Now, I am a runner of sorts, and I say of sorts. <laughs> I don't run as often as I should. And actually, my neighbors would probably tell you that they usually see me out for a brisk walk with my wiener dog. But when I do run, it is not spectacular. I'm not one of those people who sort of bounds through the neighborhood like a gazelle. No, I am what you might call a plodder. I just sort of plod along and put one foot in front of the other and pray the whole time that I can make it the full route back to my house. But you know what? One of the things I've discovered that's really important, if I'm going to complete that route, if I'm going to complete the race, if you will, and that's believing that I can do it. I need to believe that. It makes, it makes a huge difference, and that means that I often need encouragement. And thanks be to God, my incredibly patient husband, Tripp, who could easily outrun me, often jogs with me, and when he does, and he sees me groaning up some hill, is apt to say, hang in there. You can do it. That's a really powerful thing, isn't it? To have somebody in your life say, hang in there. You can do it. I believe in you. I think the writer of our text this morning understood that. And that's why they reminded us that we, in this race we call life, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that cheer us on. And that, friends, that crowd is the church, the church here on earth and the church in heaven. When we're tired, when the road seems so long or we feel like we're going uphill, when we're bored, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're afraid, when we feel like we're falling off the path and we just can't make it one more step, that's when we need to remember that the body of Christ cheers us on. We are not in it by ourselves. And that can give us a second wind, you see, so that we have the endurance we need to make it to the end. You know, years ago, I heard the testimony of a young woman who was uh, in the midst of recovery for alcoholism. She'd been in recovery for a while when I, when I heard her testimony, and she, she talked about the beginning of her journey when she had only been attending AA meetings for a few weeks. She got a call one night from her long-term boyfriend who unceremoniously broke up with her. Now, this was a very long-term relationship, and that was a traumatic event for her, and it kicked off an intense, intense desire for a drink. 
She said she hung up the phone, and she got in her car, and she drove to the liquor store and sat in the parking lot. And there, she said, she had a war within herself. She had made a commitment to sobriety, but she was hurting so badly, and all she wanted was a drink to make it go away. Thank goodness, instead of walking into the liquor store, she took a moment, went to a payphone, and she called her AA sponsor, who was a Christian woman. And that AA sponsor got in her car and drove to the liquor store and picked this young woman up and then drove her home and sat up with her all night long. And the young woman said that throughout the night, um, pretty much their conversation consisted of her sobbing and saying again and again, I can't do this, while her sponsor held her hand and said, by God, you can. Sometimes that's what we need, isn't it? A Christian brother or sister to speak the truth, to give us encouragement, to tell us we can do it so we can continue on this race of faith? Of course we do. Friends, in our society, we tend to be so incredibly individualistic. We put tremendous emphasis on personal responsibility and willpower, and that can be an okay thing, but we can take it too far. And I am telling you that in the life of discipleship, there's not a single one of us that can make it all the way to the end of this race by gritting our teeth and using our willpower to say, faithful, we can't do it by ourselves. We need that great cloud of witnesses. That is why the father of Methodism, John Wesley, said that our religion at its heart is a social one. Christianity is a social religion. It is meant to be lived out in relationship and in community. We need each other. No human being is an island. We need to tap into the power, the encouragement, the strength of God that we know in our brothers and sisters in Christ, this great cloud of witnesses, the church here on earth and in heaven that cheers us on and gives us the strength we need to continue on. Right now, I know a lot of us are growing weary of this part of the race. We need that strength right now, don't we? This pandemic seems to go on and on and on. Three steps forward, two steps back. Does it feel like that to you sometimes? It's really difficult for everyone, and it can wear you down. And frankly, friends, sometimes this sort of thing doesn't bring out the best in us as human beings. It can distract us. It can also make us frustrated and angry and fearful, worried. Look, if you're feeling that way, you are not alone. You're not alone. I understand what it's like to be so distracted by the concerns that this situation brings up that you get to the end of the day and you forgot to pray. I know what it's like to be so frustrated or upset by the situation that you end up being testy with people when ordinarily you'd never talk to them that way. You lose your temper. I know what it's like to be so wrapped up in my own thoughts and worries about the pandemic that um, 
I don't offer forgiveness when I should or ask for it when I need it. I understand. But I know this too. This situation is teaching us some very important lessons. And one of the greatest, I think, is that we need God and we need each other. We need God and we need each other. We need this great cloud of witnesses. We need the encouragement and the strength that we draw from one another so that we can continue to stay on the path of discipleship, to continue this race. So if you're finding yourself getting really tired and you're frustrated right now with that, don't beat yourself up. Breathe a prayer and ask for forgiveness and strength and then reach out. I know you've heard me say that before, but reach out, friends. Continue to be the church for one another. Reach out in prayer. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Know you are being prayed for. I pray for you every day. Call a friend. Text someone. Email someone. Write a note. Continue to connect with the body of Christ and allow the strength and encouragement of this great cloud of witnesses to spur you on in this life of faith. When you're tired when the road seems so long or so steep, when you don't think you can make it another step, when you don't know if you can follow the path all the way back to your house, that's when you need a brother or sister in Christ to help you follow through. Friends, the church is on your side. We know you can do it. And Jesus does too. Take heart. Let us pray. Most loving God, we give you thanks for you are with us during all the seasons of our life, including this one, which is so hard and is drawing out to be so long. Lord, we, we thank you for the great cloud of witnesses that, that surrounds us. Open our hearts that we may receive encouragement and offer encouragement and know the strength and the peace that comes from the Christian life that's shared in community with one another. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Friends, our invitation to Christian discipleship this week is to continue to connect with God and one another. Don't forget that great cloud of witnesses. Offer your prayers. Open your hearts to receive them. And reach out one way or another to connect with brothers and sisters so you may know strength and encouragement from one another in this life. Thanks so much for joining us in worship today. I'm Senior Pastor Holly Gotelli. Alamo Heights United Methodist Church is a Christian community of love, hope, and belonging for all. To connect with us, visit ahumc.org or find us on social media.